thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who can sing a song, two, two songs at once, <laughs> Mike Vandebogart. Oh, Oi. Hey. Thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of announcements before we get going here. First, I'd like to thank all of our new wonderful Patreon supporters. So we got Elise Karam, David Goldman, uh, Mandolin Cars- Carlson, Brenda Gissel, Nicole, I'm going to butcher this one, <laughs> Santa Suzo. Wow, I think you nailed it. Might have nailed it. Ashley Wicker and Jessica Randall. So thank you so much for you. supporting the show. They must have heard that patron-only episode that we released <laughs> yeah. to the public. And like, yep, yeah, where can we get more of that? Yes. So welcome aboard. Um, also, I also want to just give a th- huge thank you to just everyone who listens to the show. We recently hit... Uh, over a million downloads. Drum roll, drum roll. Uh, you got to like build up to it. <laughs> well, too late. Showmanship. Do you have a, any kind of sound effect for N- us? No. I don't okay. know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> a million. Go. Hey. No, it's a really big deal. We've been doing this since uh, 2018, so it's taken a long time to get there. And um, we also have moved into the top um, Apple charts for true crime for the U.S. So that's a, that's a big deal, too. So... Uh, thank you so much and to everyone that listens to the show. Um, it wouldn't be possible without you. Yes, and thank you so much. <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah, and uh, if you do want to help support the show, you can visit our Patreon page. Uh, we have YouTube memberships. We have premium subscriptions on Apple. We will soon have um, subscriptions on X, formerly known as Twitter. And I think that covered it all. You can also buy stuff on our store and Facebook and our website. So, all right. And uh, oh, I have one just because it's the only thing we've ever gotten a bad rating for that we didn't deserve. Okay. Um, and someone commented on it today asking about our voices sounding weird on Spotify. That oh, is yeah. a spot. So, if you're listening to this now, if all of a sudden our voices speed up or sound like chipmunks, that is a Spotify glitch. That's not something we are doing on the episode. So, that's yeah, something that's a, unique to Spotify. It's a known issue. I've experienced it with other podcasts. Uh, usually, if you just close out, the Spotify app and reopen it. It fixes it. You might have to reboot your phone, but yep, or clear your cache. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you can listen directly at our podcast host Podbean, or you can try Apple. Or there's dozens of hosts that have our show. So yeah, if it does do that, and you don't want to listen to it that way. What you can do is turn the volume all the way down and let it just run, and that will help us get that listen. <laughs> and then you don't have to hear it like that and just listen to it again somewhere else. There you and, go. Uh, that just helps us. Yeah. So uh, that's all I had. Yes. All right, everybody. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. Thank you. 
August 23rd, 2008. A man goes out for a ride on his ATV on the border of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. After not hearing from him after several days, his family reached out to the authorities. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Mike Heron. So, this episode is bringing us to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Mike, have you ever been there? I have not. Uh, I went with my family once, and I think that's the only time I've ever gone. How was it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we went by Asheville. Okay. So, in that kind of that vicinity, uh, we went with for just easy hikes. There's a couple of really cool waterfalls you could swim in. Yeah. Uh, what else was there? Uh, I mean, we saw a black bear. There's tons of black bear. So it was really Are beautiful. Are you sure about that? I'm very sure. Because <laughs> it was in the park and there was rangers nearby and they said it. So okay. if I was wrong, that's on the park ranger this time. No, I mean, we have our bear issues. So I yes. just wanted to make sure you were very sure about that. <laughs> it's why we've hit a million views. <laughs> so um, this isn't actually in the park. It's right on the border in a location called Happy Valley, Tennessee. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the Great Smoky Mountains. So it's about 200 square miles. Uh, that's 50, uh, 522,000 acres uh, of land. And we're just going to talk about that because it's nearby where this actually is. No, it's 816 square miles. 816. Yeah. Oh, it's 200 square miles smaller than Rhode Island. Yes. I'm like reading backwards because I skipped ahead. That's, <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Uh, so the uh, Great Smoky Mountains was established on June 15th, 1934. Uh, in, in 2020 numbers, they saw 14.1 million visitors. It is one of the most visited national parks. That's a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, so habitation history of the area. For thousands of years, this region was occupied by successive cultures of indigenous peoples. The historic Cherokee had their homeland here and occupied numerous towns in the river valleys on both sides of the Appalachian Mountains. Their first encounter with Europeans were as traders, mostly coming from the colonial Carolinas and Virginia. European Americans did not begin to settle here until the late 18th and early 19th centuries, particularly because of the pre their pressure to acquire land in the Deep South. In 1830, President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act, beginning the process that eventually resulted in the forced removal of all Indian tribes east of the Mississippi River, to Indian Territory, territory now Oklahoma. Now, is that um, the Trail of Tears? Does that involve? Ooh, I don't even want to speculate. You looked it up I'll while I keep going, up. but I mean, it sounds like if they're getting pushed that way, I think that's what that was, but you're, you're dating me here back to like <laughs> early, early grade school stuff. Uh, most of the Cherokee were also removed for a period. Some led by such warriors as Sali evaded removal by staying in an area now part of the great smoky mountain national park. They used the land to their advantage. I'm sure going in areas where Europeans wouldn't know how to deal. Yeah. A band on the, Oh geez. Uh, <laughs> a river. 
you got to look that one up. I want to see how, how badly that one is. The Okanalfti River acquired land and also remained. Their descendants make up most of the federally recognized eastern band of Cherokee Indians based in Cherokee, North Carolina, and their Kuala Boundary Reserve to the south of the park. So, uh, just to jump in here, Trail yep. of Tears um, was an ethnic cleansing and forced displacement of approximately 60,000 people of the five civilized 60, tribes. 60,000. Between 1830 and 1850 by the U.S. government, and it was caused by the signing of the Indian Removal Act. Boom. You, uh, you remembered your history. Good for I you. I did. Yeah, you think I should know. We have that whole exhibit in uh, the Milwaukee <clears throat> Museum. It's yeah. Really, it's really cool. Um, let's see here. Where was I? So here's some interesting facts about Tennessee. Davy Crockett was born in Tennessee. Davy Crockett has become a national folk hero thanks to his actions as a politician and as a soldier. Through he, uh, Though he's most often associated with the Battle of the Alamo, he wasn't originally from Texas. Crockett was born in Tennessee in 1786. He had humble beginnings as he and his immigrant parents lived in a single room, uh, single room homes during much of his childhood. Uh, Andrew Jackson was the first Tennessee representative. Uh, Andrew Jackson was born in the Carolinas, but he called Tennessee home for much of his adult life. After moving to Nashville, he rose to prominence in politics. Be uh, before becoming the country's seventh president, he was a member of Congress. He was the first member of the House of Representatives to come from Tennessee, and he later served as a state senator. Uh, so do you know what the, <laughs> the state symbol is? Uh, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> trash panda. <laughs> a raccoon is the state symbol. Uh, you can pan for gold in Tennessee. So Tennessee was part of the gold rush, though it was less popular than other locations. Gold isn't widespread in the state and is mostly found in the southeastern region. Prospectors might not be rushing to the state anymore, but there are still gold deposits in the state. You can even get a permit to pan for gold. Most gold found today comes from the Cherokee National Forest. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. I wonder how much a gold panning permit costs. More than probably what you <laughs> find. I wonder if like <laughs> your break even has to do with how much the permit and the pan costs. Right. So like everyone that does it's like your first year you're not gonna make any money. Yeah. Uh, and then the next year you're gonna break even on the permit. Yeah. And the third year, that's the year you start raking it in. <laughs> uh, a few cities have over a hundred thousand people. As of 2022, more than 7 million people live in the entire state, making it the 15th largest state by population. However, the state doesn't have many cities with over 100,000 citizens. Nashville has the largest population with just over 700,000 residents. Uh, and it has more caves than anywhere else. So I'm surprised we don't do a lot more... Uh, Cave stories? Cave stories, or just missing people in this area, since that's like one of the theories that uh, a lot of these people go missing in caves. This guy was a cave diver. Well, not a cave diver, but he explored caves. He spelunked? Spelunked. There I don't know it's if he like... Spelunking. Professionally spelunked. I don't know if... <laughs> I think the act of going through the cave means you are... Like, it's a verb, yeah. not a profession. Okay. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I, I could be entirely wrong, what do but we know? I used to say, I'm going spelunking, because <laughs> it's a fun thing to say. Um... I'll look it up. So, yeah, look it up. <laughs> Tennessee is, among other things, the cave capital of the United States. According to surveyors, there are at least 10,000 caves above and below ground in the state. That number is higher than any other states. In fact, around 20% of all the currently known caves are found in Tennessee. Some are open to visitors, while others are considered too dangerous. It's a noun. 
and it's the exploration of caves. Boom. Especially as a hobby. Boom. Well, I was, it wasn't, I use, well, I was using it as a verb. Okay. Yeah, I am. Spo- well, no, I, I, does that change it? I'm bad at English. <laughs> if, if you couldn't tell. English is your second language. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a first language. <laughs> Me fail English? That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that's a Simpsons line, but that's literally me also. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's scarier that they have a lot of those caves there or if they the line is 20% of the currently known caves. Yeah. <laughs> that means there's a lot there's, more that they just don't know about of, yet. Yeah, that's a lot of unknown caves. Um, well, it's it's an unknown number. That's true. It's 20% of all the currently known caves. Yeah. So there could be a state with more caves and they just don't know. Yeah. Okay, this is getting off the Interesting. rails. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of where to go with this, but I got nothing. I, I, did, I did know this one. Uh, <laughs> it's where Mountain Dew was invented. I did not know that either. So Mountain Dew, I said I did know it. I, I said not, I didn't. You never listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you said you didn't know it either, either okay. implying that I didn't know it too, and I did know That's that. That's a good point. Okay. A Mountain Dew is a pot. We start fist fighting. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we get more patrons. We just turn into like a Jake Paul show. Uh, Mountain Dew is a popular soft drink all over the USA. Did you know that? But it has its roots in Tennessee. The original formula that would evolve into modern, the modern day version of the drink was invented in the 1940s by Barney and Allie Hartman. The Hartmans were beverage bottlers from Tennessee once they perfected their formula, they began selling their new invention in Knoxville and Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee was once underwater. The earth is billions of years old and has undergone massive geographic changes during that time. Much of the land you're familiar with didn't exist, at least not how it does today. Tennessee was once underwater. Geologists have found evidence to support that parts of middle Tennessee were about 100 feet below ocean level uh, during the Ordovo. Uh, Ardovician period. Ardovician. Ardovician period. Sounds right. Ordovician. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting butchered at this one. Maybe we'll get more patrons. I throw, I throw words in sometimes. Did we tell the phone number to call in? We didn't. Uh, you should bring that up real quick right now so um, that if everyone who's mad at me for all the things that we just screwed up, you can call that number. Yes, we'll have another so show. Uh, if you want to call in and uh, make comments on Joe's pronunciation, you can call 208-391-6913. <laughs> there we go. All right, so now let's get into the climate. According to our friends over at the Copen Climate Classification System, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park has two climate types, humid, subtropical, and temperate oceanic. The humid subtropical air mass, typically in one place over the Smoky Mountains, produces large amounts excuse me, of precipitation. Annual precipitation amount, uh, amounts range from 50 to 80 inches, with heavy winter snowfalls in the higher elevations, and flash flooding often occurs after heavy rain. The average highs are in the low to mid-70s, June through July, with the average low dropping down to the low uh, to mid-20s. December through March. Uh, strong damaging winds of 80 to 100 miles an hour uh, or higher occur a few times each year around the Smoky Mountains, mainly during the cool season from October to April as a result of the phenomenon known as mountain waves. So mountain waves are strongest uh, in narrow areas along the foothills and can create extensive areas of fallen trees and roof damage, especially around uh, Cades Cove and Cove Mountain. 
So strong winds created by mountain waves were a contributing factor in the devastating Gatlinburg fire on November 28th, 2016, during the 2016 Great Smoky Mountains wildfire. Uh, wildfire. I forgot about that. Yeah. Because like COVID like just took over everything. Yeah. I forgot that was like a huge deal. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I didn't even remember it till I was researching this. Yeah. So damaging winds can also be generated by strong thunderstorms, which tornadoes uh, with tornadoes and strong thunderstorm complexes, also known as mesoscale convective systems, occasionally affecting the Smoky Mountains. That's a wild place to be living in with all those weird converging. <laughs> yes. Like we haven't heard of many of those things until this episode. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about the terrain. Uh, elevation of the park ranges from about 875 feet to 6,643 feet at the summit of Klingman's Dome. Within the park, a total of 16 mountains reach higher than 5,000 feet. So not a lot of really aggressive mountains. Yeah. Uh, the wide range of elevations mimics the latitudinal changes found throughout the entire eastern United States. Ascending the mountains is comparable to a trip from Tennessee to Canada. Uh, plants and animals common in the country's northeast have found suitable ecological niches in the park's higher elevation, while southern species find home in the balmier, lower reaches. Uh, the tallest peaks are Klingman's Dome at 6,600 feet, Mount Goyet at 6,621 feet. I should get her that close. It's the Klingman's Dome is 6,643. <laughs> Mount Guyot is, I'm going to get butchered on that one, 6,621 feet. And Ma Mount Leconte at 6,593 feet. Uh, some of the animals, just like I said before, black bear, so I was correct, <laughs> elk, eastern cottontail rabbit, red wolves, groundhogs, foxes, uh, red fox, Coyotes, bobcats. Not the comedian. Yeah. <laughs> River otters, white-tailed deer, and gray fox, wild turkey, and wild boar. Of that entire list, I think the like a pack of wild boars would scare me more than anything else. Yeah, that or the like, cottontail rabbit. Yeah, if it's the one from Monty Python. <laughs> stream crossings. And we've said this in other episodes, but if you are a new listener, uh, dangerous stream crossings can be a problem if you're hiking in the park. So heavy rains cause swollen streams that may be unsafe, uh, may be unsafe to ford while they're swollen. Use good judgment. Do not attempt to cross flooded streams. If your route is blocked by a rain swollen stream, please backtrack and attempt to return to your nearest campsite or trailhead. You do not want to risk your life trying to follow a planned itinerary. Uh, when crossing streams, you want to wear shoes, don't wear Crocs to protect your feet and use a stout stick or added support. And you also want to unbuckle your waist straps and your pack so it can be discarded quickly. That's important. That's so important. You don't <clears throat> want to, you'll get stuck in strainer points wearing your backpack. Yeah. And I, you know, my backpack when I hike is pretty heavy. So if I fell, you know, lost my balance, it would take me right over and yeah. And then you're being dragged under cause you're strapped to it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, you want to treat all drinking water. Uh, the protozoan Giardia lambi lambilia may be present in park waters. When ingested, their reproductive cysts may cause an internal disorder that appears weeks after your trip. The easiest method of effective water treatment is to boil it for one minute or use filter uh, filter capable of removing particles as small as one micron. Hypothermia is a threat, as always, so you want to be prepared for southern weather changes. Uh, cool, wet, and windy conditions can cause hypothermia, even in the summer. If it's yep. cold at night, hypothermia is a progressive lowering of your body's core temperature, causing physical collapse and diminished mental capacity. A wet hiker can succumb to hypothermia in summer at higher elevations 
very quickly. So to prevent hypothermia, use rain gear uh, before you become wet. Wear wicking clothing to get water away from your body. Uh, leave the cotton clothing at home. It's itchy. It holds water. It's no good. It doesn't dry can, out. <clears throat> you can even get hypothermia like if you, it's hotter during the day and you sweat a lot and your clothes get damp and it gets colder at night and you're up at higher elevations, you can oh, yeah. easily get hypothermia. Yeah, that's why cotton's bad. just holds it yeah. when it becomes wet. Uh, you want to minimize your wind exposure, especially if your clothes are wet. You want to replace them with dry ones, but wait till it's not raining. Don't constantly change out your clothes and everything will be wet. Uh, avoid sweating in cold weather. I love how that's... <laughs> avoid sweating. <laughs> well, move. I, mean, <clears throat> I know what they're saying. Yeah. You wanna, if you dress in layers rather than like bulky stuff, yeah. so you can remove layers on warm days and then put them back on. Yeah. Uh, staying well hydrated is actually important too. Uh, in all conditions, three to four quarts of water per day are required to avoid dehydration. And spread it out. If you're just chugging water, you'll have to pee quick, and then you won't absorb it all. Yeah. Uh, encounters with bears. So bears in the park are wild, and their behavior is unpredictable. Uh, it is super rare. Uh, attacks on humans have occurred, inflicting serious injuries and death. I know when we went with my family, it was probably like eight or nine years ago. It was like a year before that. Some teenager actually got killed by a black bear. And that's pretty rare. Yeah, it was It was mainly because he was with the group, and he yeah. split off from his group. Okay. And he was, like, alone with it, and they just assume, Yeah. oh, now he's not with the group anymore. No. Uh, there are two species of venomous snakes that live in the Smokies, the northern copperhead and the timber rattlesnake. Although very few snake bites occur here, visitors should be cautious where they place their hands and feet, especially around old buildings and stone fences. Uh, fun fact, no fatalities from snake bites have ever been recorded in the park. Yeah. Because they happen after they leave the park in the ambulance. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I can joke about that because no one actually did die from that yes. in that park. Uh, so what's the difficulty? So our friends over at All Trails uh, lists over 354 trails to hike in the park with trails fit for every level of experience and condition. 52 are listed as easy. 149 are moderate and 152 are listed as hard. Uh, some some significant hazards that may you may have to contend with include streams, rivers, crossings, uh, precipitous cliffs and ledges. Uh, that's where it's slippery and you step on it looking over the edge and you can sometimes tumble over. So don't do that. Uh, unstable sedimentary rock, dangerous wildlife and ever changing weather, including snowstorms and lightning conditions. Yep. Um, so here are the following factors that lead to the most, uh, the most or the bulk of the backcountry emergencies in the park. And if you can avoid these, you'll have a great time. Failure to plan and prepare. That's these are kind the, of that's like the number one, almost universal. They are universal, <laughs> of course. Hiking. That's why we got to re- we yeah. got new listeners all the time. Yes, because we're in the top 150. We're famous now. <laughs> uh, inadequate footwear, clothing, or equipment. Those first two pretty much will guarantee that you'll do just fine. Uh, lack of skill or fitness level necessary for the type of terrain and outing. Please do not do something for the first time that you are unsure if you can get away with. Impaired or poor judgment, sometimes induced by fatigue, exhaustion, or hypothermia. Uh, failure to let family or friends know of your specific plans or route and date of return. Failure to keep your hiking party together. That's a huge one. Never split yeah. up. So you do uh, the opposite of those six things, and you will have a wonderful time telling your friends and family about your great trip. Yeah. Now, now let's talk about Mike. All right. So the subject of our case is his name was Michael Edwin Heron. He was born uh, June 15th, 1957. 
He uh, went missing uh, August 23rd, 2008. Remains have not been found. He was a male, uh, age 51 at the time of his disappearance. He would be 66 uh, as of today. He was 5'10", 185 pounds. He had dark brown hair and hazel eyes. He was also last seen driving a green four-wheel drive Yamaha Yamaha Wolverine ATV. Uh, Gear was last seen in. He was in a faded red T-shirt, khaki cargo shorts, and Tiva sandals. He obviously wasn't technically going out for a hike, so he didn't really prepare to be stuck out in the wilderness. And, you know, he lived right around in this area, so, um, you know, that would explain why he wasn't prepared sure. in that sense. Um, personality, he sounded like a really likable guy. His sons, Andy and Matt, described described him as a very animated guy whose uh, laughter could be heard from a distance and brighten anybody's day. Um, his friends all agreed with that description, adding that he was super sociable. He got along with everybody. Um, he he really had a, a like a enjoyment he got an enjoyment out of life and he loved spending time outdoors so he seems like a really cool dude um he also his family said that he was one of the hardest working people they they ever met he loved riding his atvs he also owned um motorcycles and a couple other vehicles and um from everything i read it just appeared he was just a really happy happy guy and you know life seemed everything seemed to be going great for him so um, that's too bad yeah it adds for kind of the mystery to the the story here uh as far as medical issues he didn't really have any major issues he had a surgical scar in the back of his knee he had a scar on his leg between his knee and his thigh he had a snake bite scar on one foot and an ap- appendectomy scar on his abdomen and a tattoo on his lower back and it also i found that uh one of his uh one of his feet is one to one and a half sizes smaller than the other foot, and he has caps on his teeth. So okay. nothing that would really jump out if you saw him on a trail. Um, so occupations, hobbies, a history about himself. So he was born in East Tennessee, and he went to Lanier High School. Uh, after high school, he actually worked for the Park Service trimming you know, trees for trails. He then started, a, um, started building... Uh, home building business and became very successful. It was called Michael Heron Builders. And I believe both his sons work for that same business. Now, um, the business had apparently, according to my research, sold a lot of its housing inventory before in 2007, before the housing crash of 08 and 09. So as far as the business, you know, being financially secure, it seems like they either knew something was coming or, you know, got lucky and sold a lot of their houses before the crash came. So sure. th- there was no financial distress in the business that would cause, you know, Michael to, you know, want to go out and get lost or anything like that. So no, no outward signs of that. Uh, experience in the location, he knew the Happy Valley area very well, and he had a 100-acre farm on it with uh, cattle and he would often explore the area. He'd explore the caves. He'd go uh, deep into the uh, Great Smoky Mountain National Park. So he was very, very familiar with this area, having grown up here, owning a big chunk of land here. So um, his love for the outdoors, you know, I would say he was pretty experienced in this location. 
um, based on everything I was able to find. So Joe is pulling it up right now on the TV here. Yeah, just kidding. So it's a really small. It's that according to the Census Bureau information. So was it like unincorporated? Yeah, it's a small town and it's very remote. They said, I'll get into more of the search later, but during the search, they had to set up um, temporary cell towers just so the the searchers could oh wow stay in contact with each okay. other. So very remote location. Yeah, I think we're looking at all of it right here. Yeah, yeah, real real small. Yeah. So our story starts on August 23rd, 2008, which is a Saturday around um, 9.30. This would actually be the last day Mike's sons, Matt and Andy, would hear from him. So uh, Andy, who's 26, said his dad called him about 9.30 to just, you know, nothing out of the blue, just to let him know that he was leaving his condo in the nearby town of uh, Maryville. And he was coming over to his house to pick up a lawnmower and a trailer to cut grass at the property in Happy Valley. Um, Andy said that he wasn't home at the time when his dad called, but um, told him that he was on his way back and could help Mike put the mower on the trailer. Uh, Matt, who is his other son, 25, said he got a voicemail kind of along the same lines. Um, Andy told his dad that if he didn't so like want- nothing was out of the ordinary that day. No. Like he was talking to them like, normal mode yeah enough no like signs of distress okay this is very normal for mike to you know go over to the property mow the lawn you know tend to the cattle um you know ride his atvs so no no red flags at this point um with the sun so uh andy ended up telling his dad that if he didn't want to wait for him he could go ahead and transport it by himself as they lived they're about a half hour from each other and um he would help him later on Andy said he passed his dad on Gateway Road as he was returning to his home that morning. Mike had the mower and was traveling uh, toward East uh, Lamar Alexander Parkway, probably uh, toward Bell Ranch Road. Andy said, now this is a quote, I didn't pick up on anything different, nothing in particular. Matt and Andy said one of their dad's best friends also talked to him that morning with no sense of anything being wrong. So just another typical day so far. So it's now, it's the same day, it's Saturday, 11 a.m., so Mike's neighbors who lived in the property next to Mike's property near the end of uh, Bell Ranch Road saw him pull into his driveway, and he was hauling a piece of equipment on the trailer, which was the mower. Mike's house was towards the dead end of Bell Ranch Road, so he passed a lot of other farms on the way to his property. So we have another confirmed sighting that he was at the property at 11 a.m. from one of his neighbors. It's now uh, same day. It's 11.30 a.m. So another neighbor saw Mike on his four-wheeler and said he waved as he drove down Bell Ranch Road. So we have another sighting of Mike actually on an ATV. Uh, Matt and Andy went on with their weekends and said it was not unusual to not talk to their dad over the weekend as they saw each other at work. They assumed their dad would call and return the mower and trailer to one of them when he was done uh, mowing his lawn. So, you know, Saturday went by, no, no signs of any problems. So it's now eight, August 24th of 2008, which is Sunday, uh, 2 PM. So by now the brothers were surprised when their grandmother, Alma called, uh, she was worried that she had not heard from Mike and hadn't been able to get a hold of him on his cell phone. Um, and this, uh, wasn't really normal for Mike, even though cell phone reception in the Valley was very spotty. Almost told Matt and Andy that earlier that morning, 
Uh, she and Mike's dad had walked about five minutes from their house on Happy Valley Road to Mike's house on Bell Ranch Road and knocked on his door, but no one answered. They uh, had noticed Mike's truck was in the driveway with the mower and trailer attached to it just as uh, their grandfather had seen it earlier that weekend while passing through. The lawn also hadn't been mowed, so um, something now is kind of off. So I said he was at the end? End of Bell Ranch Road. Look, and there's Her- Heron Road. I wonder if this is like his property. Cause, I mean, that's his last name. Yeah. This is probably his farm right here. Yeah, you know what? Actually, that looks like the aerial view from that one news report. Okay. Of that house. And you zoom in. Oh, like green one. Okay, cool. Roof. I think. I'm not 100% sure. but I, It's the biggest property. They said it was at the end of the road, and this road is literally named his name. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is all maybe his. They, <clears throat> maybe they renamed it after. Well, you know, a lot of like a lot of the roads in Milwaukee are named after the farm the farmers owner. who own the land, like yeah. the owner of the land. So I wonder if it's that thing when you're way out there and you set up shop somewhere like, well, this is your road. Yeah, could be. So, um, you know, Matt and Andy weren't overly concerned that Mike hadn't answered the door or unhitched the trailer as he would often uh, be away tending to, he had 40 head of cattle and doing other odd jobs. I mean, a hundred acre land, piece of land, there's lots of stuff to do. Um, so, you know, they told their grandmother that their dad was probably just busy on the farm. And once he was back, uh, near a landline, he'd call her. Um, you know, and they also kind of tried to rest assured that, you know, he had intricate knowledge of the surrounding woodland. Like we said, he grew up here playing in them, working in them, he, you know, worked in the park service. So the thought of him getting lost. Well, look at how thick it is, though. It is very thick. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really thick. Yep. Okay, go on. Sorry. Yeah, no. So, they're, I mean, they're just trying to, you know, Tell their grandmother, like, you know, he'll be fine. He's not going to get lost. He won't need rescue. So, um, you know, they were still, I don't think, uh, you know, concerned. I would probably be a little concerned if I showed up and all the stuff, like, my dad said he was going to do hadn't been done and, like, the mower is still on the trailer. And, um, But, you know, maybe this isn't unusual for Mike. So, sure. It's now August 25th of 2008. This is a, it's Monday. It's 8.30 a.m. So the, the grandma called the sons again and said she still had not heard from Mike. And now she's like, something has to be wrong. So this finally kind of raised um, <laughs> alarm bells. <laughs> I think I'm on the screen right now. What's going on out there? Uh, he's like just putting a sticker up on the... <laughs> I busted. <laughs> he put a sticker up on the on the lights. Cool. Um, so, like I said, now family is getting worried. So, um, after the sons talked with their grandmother again, they realized they needed to they needed to call somebody or check on their dad. So, the brothers drove to Mike's condo on Brown Court Brown Court off of uh, Amarine Road in Maryville, where he stayed three or four nights a week to be close to work. Uh, two of Mike's three vehicles, a Mercedes and a Harley, were still in the garage. His uh, bed was made and the lights were off. The only vehicle missing, obviously, was the pickup truck, which um, we have evidence that we know he was in. Um, neighbors saw him. One of the sons passed him on the road, I believe. Or maybe they, maybe I read that wrong. But we know the neighbors saw him, and they saw the truck at the property. So we know he was in the truck. 
nothing seemed amiss at the condo. So, but he hadn't been there. Okay. So he left in the morning and hadn't been back. So after checking the condo, just for reference, here is Maryville compared to where okay. his road. So it's it's good. It's a little bit of a distance. Yeah. What what is it as the crow flies? <laughs> uh, let's see here. If the crow flies to Maryville, the crow. Where does it give me the? Oh, I have to press enter. Oh, jeez. Oh boy. Oh wait, no, I hit the wrong thing. That's there right. we go. Duh. Happy Valley too, Maryville. Oh, 10 miles. 10 miles. Yeah, but it's mountain miles. Like, you know, they got to, like, go through all this stuff. Yeah, so. Okay. You know, 10 to 20 miles. Um, so, after the brothers checked the condo, um, uh, they headed to the farm on Bell Ranch Road. So, Mike's mom had gone back to the farmhouse in Happy Valley for a second time to check to see if he had turned up. But when she arrived, she called Andy and Matt to tell them that the ATV was still in front of it. Still in the front yard, and Mike's truck was still parked by the house with the lawnmower and trailer attached to the back of it. Uh, so, you know, when they arrived at the farm, they checked on the truck. Uh, very strangely, the windows were down, the doors were unlocked, his keys were in it, ID, money clip, and cell phone were still in the vehicle. So, Oh, weird. All his stuff was in there. Uh, I would love to know, and I don't know if it's in there. You tell me if it isn't. Uh, does he normally not carry that stuff on him all the time? That is um is not in there but okay i just don't know if that'd be like an abnormal thing like does he never have the stuff in his pocket so like would he have gotten out of his truck and maybe seen something and like ran to it before he put all the stuff back in or maybe you'd think at a minimum you'd take your like money clip yeah i mean i oh if it's my hundred acres no i guess leave it in the car windows down be like why especially if i'm going in the woods maybe i wouldn't bring that stuff because i'm like don't want to lose it yeah true but then would you leave your car unlocked yeah, it's my 100-acre land. That's true. You know, I mean, we're, I'm used to living in a city where you don't leave anything unlocked. Yeah. And you bolt everything down outside. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's only a 28-minute drive. Okay. Yeah, it go, you can get right through it, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking, like, sometimes in Colorado to go, like, 20 miles, it could almost be, like, 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Because it's, like, slow mountain winding stuff, so. Yeah. So, you know, when the, the brothers obviously, you know, got there and saw that all the, his stuff was still in his truck unlocked... They also realized the four-wheeler that the grandmother had seen was his old ATV, and the new one that he recently purchased was missing. So okay. um, Mike's truck was also parked in a position that would not have uh, that he would not have normally left it in, uh, given that a school bus parked on the property, and Mike always moved the truck before the bus arrived on Monday morning. So uh, for Matt, the missing ATV really concerned him. It meant that he might've had an accident or got injured and was unable to get back to the farm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very concerning part and something happened because his plan was to go to his farm in the morning and mow. So something happened where he got to the farm and didn't have time to get the mower off the trailer. Didn't have time to like get any of his stuff, left his truck unlocked windows down and got on his ATV. So, uh, so I know we'll get into theories later, but I keep be- going back and forth. Like, do you think he saw something and hopped an ATV to go deal with it? Or was he going to start that stuff, but he was like doing some leisurely thing on the ATV, just going for a morning ride. Yeah, I maybe, don't know. maybe I'd probably I do know. that. I, I know I would. <laughs> so, 
All right, so it is still Monday, uh, August 25th of 2008. It is now 12 p.m. So now that the brothers are concerned, they alerted some close family members that Mike was missing, and then they called their mom. She and Mike had been divorced for six or seven years at this point, but she still lived in Maryville. Uh, So she ends up driving to Happy Valley to help her sons try to find Mike. Uh, Jerry Heron, Mike's brother, learned about the search for Mike from his wife. Matt and Andy repaired a flat tire on the old four-wheeler and began searching their dad's property. They said they drove all of the ATV trails and checked the campgrounds in the nearby National Park, but there was no sign of their dad. So now it is still Monday, uh, the 25th. It's around 3 or 4 p.m. So this is when the sons finally decide to call 911. They originally called the National Park Service because the farm is so close to the park, um, but it's actually not in it. And the Park Service transferred uh, the report to the Blount County Sheriff's Office to file a missing persons report. So same day, we've got very detailed. We don't have a lot of detail about what Mike was doing before the morning he went missing, but we've got a lot of detail after he was supposed to be mowing the lawn and everything. So it's still Monday. Now it's between 6 and 7 p.m. So the sheriff's office and search teams began arriving at the farm to kick off the search. Uh, They began their preliminary investigation of the scene, but this was a a theme throughout this search. The the weather was terrible. So um, a lot of rain, and they were starting the search off, like we said, at 6 or 7 p.m., so it was starting to get dark, which, you know, hindered the initial search. Um, they, they did bring in a, a, a sniffer dog, uh, but were unable to track him and about, they say about 30, probably all that rain. Well, yeah, about 30 minutes, uh, to an hour into the search, it started heavily raining and did this, it rained for days. So, oh, that's like every time we talked to the one guy, that's what they said is, yeah. okay, it rains like the one thing that can eliminate the scent. And if it's just going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the uh, the tracking dog, um, uh, they were using to try to pick up his scent, but the rain, they even mentioned this in a lot of the research, the rain was making that very difficult. So um, they agreed that members of the Sheriff's Office, Park Service, uh, emergency personnel, and family would meet before daylight the next morning to restart the search. And one of Mike's uh, next-door neighbors on Bell Ranch Road, Grady Whitehead, volunteered to lead some of the search parties and it's interesting because he was uh, in his 80s. So, oh wow, yeah. Um, so that's uh, I always joke. You know, people will recognize this. Like, you could have two 80 year olds standing next to each other, and one person will be like a, a young 80, and one person will be an old 80. Oh yeah. And uh, Grady Whitehead sounds like one of those young 80s. Yeah. He's like he's just still he's volunteering to like lead search parties. Yeah. In this thick. The thick forest. Just outperforming everybody. <laughs> yeah. Outperforming guys half his age. <laughs> Probably. So uh, and Grady had briefly seen Mike the day he disappeared as he drove past his house. So he was the neighbor that Mike waved to on the ATV. So um, the Heron and Whitehead families were very close. Grady had been a park ranger. Well, this explains it too. Grady Whitehead had been a park ranger in Great Smoky Mountain National Park from 1955 to 1988. Okay. So, so he knows like the back of his hand. Yeah. And I'm sure he's probably in, um, 
even for 80, he's probably in amazing physical shape. Yeah. Like, if you spend that much time just hiking, hiking through the parks. I mean, it sounds like a dream job to oh, me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> park so, Ranger Grady. Yeah, Park Ranger he's Grady. Even got a Ranger, he's even got a Ranger name. Yeah. Ranger Whitehead. Um, so, he was very confident at the beginning of the search that he could locate Mike. Um as he thought the extensive vegetation in Happy Valley would give up indications like trampled foliage, broken twigs, or bushes if, uh, 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 sorry, broken twigs or bushes if someone had walked through an area or fallen and then tried to find help. That's the type of guy where I would trust his experience to be like, okay, that doesn't look normal versus this does. Yeah, you spent over three decades as a ranger, so. But there's the issue of you're getting heavy rain for days and days and days. What does that do to the vegetation that could potentially cover up yeah what he would normally see i mean it definitely hinder ability to find tracks yeah i think so uh, easily well, that that at a minimum but i'm even thinking like trees can come down in the rain like stuff happens in the rain where you could potentially get off trail yeah and especially in the mountains you're going to always have kind of a flash flooding risk yeah um so you know you're going to have fast moving water disturbing the area so yeah not great um but Grady's wife said he was so passionate about finding Mike that he was uh, the first one on the search and the last one to finish. So uh, pretty cool. Yeah. It's now... It's a good neighbor. Yeah. We could all have neighbors like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is now August 26th of 2008. It's the morning. So this is when the sheriff's office officially launched the formal search for Mike. Uh, they desperately implored um, help from local media and ask the public to be vigilant for signs of Mike and his missing ATV. They distributed uh, descriptions of him highlighting the fact that he was last seen wearing a faded red shirt, cargo shorts and sandals. Like we mentioned earlier. Um, but as we said, this search was severely hindered by um, the, just the terrible rain that they had. And also this came up in the research that, some people have said the delayed reporting of his disappearance for two days could have hindered their search, which depending on, you know, what theory you believe when we get into theories, maybe that was a factor, maybe not. Um, we've always said that it's r really important as soon as someone's, the, the faster someone's reported missing, the better chance they have um, of being found. So um, this is, you know, out of all the cases we've covered, two days isn't that bad. We've covered cases where people have been reported weeks after they disappeared. Yeah. So um, two days isn't too bad. But, yeah, it's it's too bad they didn't report maybe a little sooner. But, you know, it's not like they weren't out there looking for him. They were out there looking for him yeah. before, you know, they reported him missing. So, um, so it is now 826 of 2008, um, Tuesday, Tuesday at 12.05 p.m., um, do you know her? No. Oh, <laughs> just, just, just a window fan window fan. Yes. Um, so like I said, it's August 26th of 2008. It's a Tuesday, 12 Oh five PM. So, um, later that day, Mike Heron's missing ATV was found by a friend who had just happened, who just happened to be checking the area near happy Valley loop, a road that leads to bell ranch road. And, about a mile from Mike's house. Uh, the ATV was found in a location that Mike did not frequently visit near an abandoned cabin and was close to the national park, but not actually inside of it. 
Uh, it hadn't been parked. So I was telling Joe before the case, before we started recording that um, this was a really strange case because the ATV was parked. Like it wasn't really parked. It was like someone had jumped off of it while it was moving. And when they jumped off, they, the kill switch, you know, if it was strapped around the wrist was pulled out of the ATV. So, um, and they made a note of this in the investigation that it, it looked like somebody jumped off in a hurry or it had been ditched in the thick brush at the spot. I, the ATV wasn't damaged direct in any way. And there was still fuel in the tank too. So, okay. um, the, the uh, Matt, the son of Mike's was quoted here. Once they found it there, I knew whatever happened was not an accident. The four wheeler was found in high gear on a steep hill and the ignition switch was left on with the kill switch off. Yeah. He definitely hopped off and, and, it's like he was chasing something. Or, or just, I'm trying to think of times or of like... Or being chased. I, I wouldn't get off the ATV if I was being chased. That's true. You're on an ATV. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's kind of like you're pulling off and jumping off to do something. Yeah. Well, let's get into theories later. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, Matt went on to say that his dad would never leave his ATV on as it would drain the battery. They uh, were sh- sure he would would have wrecked his four-wheeler if he had an accident as they had feared. So, uh, the brothers saw the ATV and knew right away that something, um, they, they saw it right away, knew it was his dad's and they knew something was wrong. Um, right away. They're like, this is not an accident. This has to be foul play. So Matt, the other son said, um, no, the same son. Sorry. I've been quoting Matt. So Matt Heron said, you're good. I'm good. Uh, once they took me where the four wheeler was, uh, found, I knew right away. I thought, yeah, there was foul play involved because it didn't make any sense where and how the four wheeler was left. He goes on to say that he would have put it there or that he, something happened that wasn't right. It's how the four wheeler was there. It wasn't on his property. It was in between his property and the property that had, um, that I had mentioned that he was mowing for hay for the missionaries, uh, which was probably about a mile and a half, maybe a mile up the road. Um, <laughs> it was kind of in between uh, those properties. It was a three-minute walk to the National Park. Sorry, we have someone talking to us through the window. They just keep going. You got you to gotta learn to ignore them. I'll, I'll learn someday. Yes. <laughs> so, um, it is now August 27th of 2008, which is a Wednesday. Uh, the next morning, deputies and more than 50 community volunteers searched in the vicinity of where the ATV had been found. Uh, there was thick, uh, the area was thick with vegetation that bled into the confines of the National Park, resulting in acres of dense woodland and uninhibited, uninhabited forest. And if you're looking at the screen Joe has up, you can see just how densely forested this area is. Yeah, this is basically his ranch area. Yeah. And it just goes. You can see where the, they show the campsites for the National Park, too. Yeah. So they're right here. So it would be really tough to, d- to conduct a search in that, that thick vegetation. Yeah. It would um, be incredibly difficult. Yeah. So uh, a park ranger um, also led a search team to a nearby cave. Uh, Mike's family claimed to claimed he knew the cave's location and would occasionally visit, but when they investigated the area, no clues could be found. So, oh, and I missed this from the, the paragraph above here. The area was so remote that the sheriff's office had to set up a mobile cell tower so search crews could effecti- effectively communicate with each other. So very remote, very thick, um, very 
difficult area to conduct a search. You can see by the thick tree canopy that it would be hard to do aerial searches. Yeah, it's like, I mean, this is a satellite picture, but you can just see how on top of each other all of it is. I mean, maybe in winter it would be a little easier with the leaves down, but we're yeah. talking August. It's going to look like this. Yeah, it's going to be full full foliage. Yeah, so just a tough area to search. Um, so like we said, they're also investigating caves in the area, but they didn't find any trace of them. And there was just, there was no trace of what happened to Mike. Um, there were no footprints uh, near the ATV <clears throat> or any of the trails nearby. Um, dogs could not pick up a scent apart from the truck back at the house. The searchers could find no evidence of an animal attack or foul play. <clears throat> they didn't find torn bits of clothing, blood, tissue, bones, uh, no signs of a struggle. Uh, just, you know, zero evidence that he was there. And someone on the search even made the comment that it was like he spontaneously ceased to exist. Um, that's wild. It is wild. I mean, um, in this thick vegetation and it'd be tough to, you know, see tracks and, you know, if this happened on a Saturday morning and they didn't report him missing until Monday and then they didn't find the ATV until the next day and searchers didn't get out there, you know, I mean, that's enough time that any evidence maybe could have disappeared, especially sure. with the rain. So, um, but yeah, it, it is just kind of eerie, spontaneously ceased to exist. It makes you just yeah, wonder that's, that's what a, happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's like our entire show. Yeah, that is true. Um, <laughs> so, um, so like I said, hundreds of volunteers and officials covered about 450 acres with some areas being searched more than once. And uh, these searches included aerial search with assistance from the Knox County Sheriff's Office, helicopter, cadaver dogs from North Carolina, sheriff's deputies on horseback, private citizens with horses, ATVs, and grid searches of uh, the backcountry on foot. About 50 miles of hiking trails were also searched. Drones were were also deployed to map the area. The sheriff's office also brought in divers to drag two ponds on Mike's property. Uh, on the following day, cadaver dogs were also brought into the area but picked up no signs of human decay. So um, it's literally like he just vanished. Uh, we know he was at his property. Mm -hmm. And now we... We know he was on his ATV, but we don't know if he was the one that drove the ATV to the point that they found it. But um, I'll keep going. We're, I'm kind of getting. I want to get into theories. But uh, remind me when they talked about the ignition on the ATV. Did they say it was a key? They didn't say it was a key, but they said it was left on. Well, so that's like my motorcycle is parked outside right now. It's yeah. on. Mm -hmm. The key's not turned, but the ignition switch is on. I always leave that on. Does that mean like your lights could potentially stay on while that's Well, you'd on? have to turn your key to operate it, but like you could start it and you could use my that uh, that switch to turn it off with the key still on. So like, okay. if the engine's running, I can flip that the power switch and turn yeah. it off. So that's what's... If, if you're into ATVs or motorcycling, whatever, you can turn the key and then you can still say, is it on or off? Like okay. if, he, if the key's turned and it's off, you can't start it. It's kind of weird. So if anyone is listening to this that has never driven a motorcycle before, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like imagine if you're getting in your car. Yeah. And this is before the push buttons where you had to turn it. Yeah. Imagine there was also a switch, like an on-off switch next to that. 
that was the power on or off. So even okay. if you turn the key, if it was off, nothing would happen. Okay. So you'd have to like turn the key, then switch it on, then press a button to start the thing. And then a kill switch. I'm familiar with this from like a, using a wave runner. It for the wave runner, it was I put it around my wrist, and then if you fell off, it would completely immobilize the wave runner, turn it off. Yeah, I, I think they do have those for ATVs. I'm trying to remember. They I have I, to. I worked at a, a place that sold well, them. You think I'd know? Without that. knowing this specific model of ATV, all we can go off is the sun said that with the ignition switch on, the battery would drain, and it's something that his dad wouldn't do. Okay, so. Um, it is now August 29th of 2008. It's a Friday. The Blount County Sheriff's Office actually officially uh, called off the search for Mike on this day. And as you can see, they expended a lot of resources, you know, searched 450 acres, uh, 50 miles of hiking trails. They brought drones in. They had a helicopter. They had people on horses. They brought in dive teams. I mean, they really, they really gave it their all, and especially in... It sounds like pretty awful conditions to, you know, search in you, the, the thick vegetation, um, the rain. So, uh, and not finding a single piece of anything other than the ATV uh, is discouraging. Yeah. Uh, not even a track or anything. No scent. No, you know, tracker dogs didn't pick any. The cadaver dogs didn't get anything. So, very, very odd. So... Uh, we're going to move ahead now to January of 2009. So they actually conducted another search, um, and an article of clothing near the area where Mike's ATV was located was found, but it didn't come back as a match for Mike. They also found some bones in a fire pit not far from the ATV location, but they turned out to be from a cow. So uh, in the years since Mike's disappearance, Matt and Andy began uh, organizing an annual hike called Hike for Mike along the trails near Mike's property in Happy Valley. Uh, the event continued for several years, but has now come to an end as no new leads have turned up despite uh, there being a $15,000 reward. So uh, very interesting, uh, puzzling case. And kind of the official theories were... It dealt with weather. Um, sure. Something happened to him, and the weather washed away the evidence. Um, Real quick, this is the kill switch, so it's not a okay. lanyard. Now, he could have had one installed on his because they make them, but these this is what's standard. Okay. So that's that switch I was talking about. This is the starter. Yeah. Uh, and then if this is on the off, even if you have a key in there, this won't do anything. Okay. Now, it's possible if he's on the ranch, there might not even be a key, or he's the type of person who always leaves his key in. Yeah. Um, now that's where I was asking if the key is turned on, that will drain the battery. There's no mention of a key. It just said the ignition switch was on and it would drain the battery. So, okay. I mean, you could look up the model ATV, but, um, that, that I'm guessing this is pure theory. Yeah. He, I'm sh like, if it's, if he's like on his property and he's like added lights and heavily modified it, that's where, cause normally you could leave that on and it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. do anything. But if, he has it wired in where he's got like lights and things attached to it to mm -hmm. where you flip it on. It's running power from the battery. Yeah. Then it possibly could. Okay. So, so yeah, right. another, uh, another theory that has cropped up is voluntary disappearance. Um, but both sons have said this really isn't a good theory. He was uh, very family orientated. He was looking forward to grandchildren. Family. What? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You said you're never going to say that word again. Very family focused. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, uh, he, uh, <laughs> yes. big family yes. man. <laughs> he loved the outdoors. He loved being on his ranch. Um, you know, everything we said, he just seemed like a really happy guy. There was no financial issues from everything, uh, from outward appearance. It looked like his business was very successful. Um, you know, no, no reason to, you know, commit suicide or voluntarily go missing. Yeah. Um, so in, you know, his sons who knew him the best, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting window love. Yeah. From a traveler. She's got like two bags and she's rolling around. Might be going to like a hotel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I, you know, his sons who knew him the best said this isn't a theory that they can entertain. I, I'm going to agree with them. They, they knew mm-hmm. their dad better than anyone. Uh, so um, the theory that really is interesting to me is foul play. Um, you know, the fact that the ignition switch was left um, left on indicates that, you know, some Mike, for some reason, left suddenly and perhaps saw or heard something in the woods or was confronted by someone or something, forcing him to abandon his vehicle. Um, Andy went on to later say, and this is a quote, uh, we don't feel like he put the four-wheeler uh, there. Um, no, and this was a quote that we mentioned earlier, but he, you know, they just didn't think that uh, – the, the location of the four-wheeler was consistent with what their dad would have done. Okay. And, um, you know, some think that Mike went missing in a suspected drug deal gone bad or by stumbling across an illegal pot farm. Um, but, you know, through my research, there was no evidence that uh, Mike used drugs or was dealing drugs. I mean, he already had a successful construction business and he had a, you know, a huge ranch that he loved to spend time on. Um, it, you know, maybe, maybe he did have a a drug issue and was, you know, it was a deal gone bad, but, um, yeah, that, that's another interesting theory. So, I mean, we've got foul play, voluntary disappearance, weather. Um, what do you think happened? So I, I, I don't think it's a drug thing for sure. No. Cause like you said, he was. On the ATV, and it looks like he potentially jumped off of it. So, and if it was a drug deal, wouldn't he take his money clip with him? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, he need money. But they're saying like stumble upon illegal grow, but he was right on his farm. It, it would was be on like his land, less than a mile yeah. away from. It wasn't on his land where oh, the okay. ATV was found. But and okay, if it was an illegal pot farm, wouldn't the searchers find that? Yeah. Ex- <laughs> yes. He stumbled upon it. Now it's gone. The heavy <laughs> rains washed it away. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, that's kind of, so that one's, I think off base. Um, they mentioned too, they're like, he has no like enemies in town, you know, like, okay, it is a small town. Yeah. Like, you know, I think of like that could, I mean, out I, West guys, property owners have, you know, dueled each other over like yes. water rights. Yeah. So like, that's not unheard of for like a, a dispute to turn violent. Well, and the guy that lived next to him like worked harder than anybody to find him. If he yeah. had, if he had issues with his neighbors, he'd be like, "Oh, that's too bad." Yeah. So and like just let it go. They didn't think it was like a dispute with a a, a co like an ex worker of his business or a customer. You know, so they kind of ruled that out too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sorry, I kind of interrupted. No, you. no, that's fine. Um, I'm just trying to think. I was posting that we're live right now, so if anyone who sees this come across on Facebook, oh. you're, it's going to be literally right now. <laughs> okay. um, no, um, 
I don't know. It's so wild because it's such a remote area, but it's not like remote where there's other people passing through. Like it's a difficult place to get to. And the only way to get to it would be going kind of through his road. It seems, I don't know the area, so I could be mistaken by that, but it just seems like anyone who'd be in there is either camping at the national park or lives around there. Yeah. Because of where it is, there's no benefit for people from any other way to come through. And it's really difficult to get to. So I'd even think for like something illegal like that, it's still not, you see where like the other grows are in the Emerald triangle and their proximity to main roads and things like that. Yeah. Even though they're out in the backcountry, they're still accessible somehow. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, maybe, I mean, he either saw something or he was chasing something and jumped off to go do. Why would you jump off your ATV in the woods? And he wasn't out hunting. He wasn't like, you know, he didn't go deer hunting and then was on his ATV to track. Yeah, he was actually, he was supposed to be mowing the lawn, right? Like he was supposed to be Saturday morning. So he decided to go out. Left all his stuff in his car. What did he say, a mile? It was like a mile from his property. Okay, so he drove on his ATV a mile from his property. In an area that he never usually goes to. So they they said that this, his ATV was found in an area that he doesn't frequently drive it through, especially because it wasn't on his property. He typically would drive his ATV only on his property, which is normal. If you've got 100 acres. Yeah, he's going off property for something. He went off property for some reason and then ditched his ATV in a manner that was very suspicious, according to his sons. And, and then no evidence was ever found of what happened to him. <laughs> so, jeez. Okay, so let's go down the path of, there's two paths. Yeah. He's being chased or he's chasing something or somebody. So let's go down to he is chasing. What would he be chasing? Maybe he arrived at his farm and someone was trying to break in. Okay. They, and they run off. Maybe they're, uh, they go wherever they just pick a place. And they're going that they're way. Running that way. And he gets his ATV and starts going after him. And then he gets closer to him and ditches it to try and catch him. And then something happens and they, injure him or kidnap him or that's almost him. so our and then take his body somewhere outside of the search area so they would have to be on vehicles too or have a vehicle somewhere nearby remember they said it was near an abandoned cabin where the atv was found hmm. but again what you know if this is just a ranch where he has cattle on it would there really be a lot of stuff in there that would be worth breaking into to steal I, I mean, we don't know what was in the his farmhouse. Yeah. Maybe maybe he did keep a lot of stuff there. Who knows? Yeah, if he's running a successful business. Yeah. Um, presume, I mean, he has 100 acres of land. Maybe he had some, like, fire. Right outside of house. a city. It's probably not cheap. Maybe it, 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 it seems like it's a hobby farm, so he's, he's probably doing okay. I mean, if you have a farm like that, he probably yeah. had some rifles on the property because... Well, I mean, just the equipment to be in a hobby farm that size would be yeah. valuable. That's That stuff's valuable. Um. That could be a reason why he would he would yeah if he or catches up to him and then they attack him and then but no sign of a struggle was found in the area they searched but that I that mean, with, with the, the weather with, with the weather that's yeah. kind of thing like heavy rains I mean if for several days if there's a scuffle or anything it's gonna be turned up soil things like that that would totally after some rainfall would just level out yeah and that could be why though this happened during the 
presumably during the day on Saturday, and it's a one-way road, and the neighbors saw him going up and down the road. There was no mention. They didn't say, like, oh, yeah, we saw this suspicious van drive down the road and then leave, like, an hour later. Yeah, if that guy lives there all the time, the older dude, and he sees everything, one of those type of people that knows what's going on, and he didn't say anything. So you'd almost have to have a vehicle parked somewhere else. Yeah. And they deliberately... We're like, we're going out to rob this guy's house, and then we're going to get away in this vehicle parked somewhere else. So that's where, like, when I flip it to, okay, being chased by something or somebody, anytime I go down the road, like, maybe it's like an animal attack, like a freak animal attack, I feel like even with the rain, they'd find stuff. Yeah. Like clothing or, or things like that, where, like you said it, like he just van it. Like he, it's like, there's no evidence he was ever there besides the ATV. That's really compelling yeah. as far as just, I, I don't think it's animal related because animal related stuff is messy. It leaves a mess yep. that even with rain, unless again, perfect storm, it rains so much that there was articles of clothing and it just got washed away yeah. or covered up because of the rain. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a chance he, who knows why he parked the ATV like that, but maybe he got some bug to go explore a cave that morning, a cave that... Or go check out that cabin. Or check out that cabin. I'm assuming he probably knew it was there. Yeah. No, I mean, this This is up there with the most puzzling cases we've covered. That's what's crazy is a lot of the ones like this where it's super puzzling, it seems so simple. Yeah. Like, there's not a crazy twist or some, like left field thing in there that could totally lead somewhere. It's yeah. just a normal day and he, but he's gone this he's time. Gone. And it's funny cause well, not funny, but because we do these cases, there's so many times where I'm like riding my motorcycle or I'm somewhere yeah. and I'm by myself. I'm like, Oh, I've like, I just dis- fell into a hole right now. <laughs> like this is like what happens. Yeah. Like I could just be a completely normal day. Like my, I, with my kids and the business, like my life's so crazy. Yeah. My normal's not very normal. No. So if anyone like, oh, oh, he took his motorcycle up there for some reason, like, ah, he just does that. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of funny. I always say, I think this is the, one of the most puzzling cases we've covered every episode, but yep. this one <laughs> truly is puzzling because I mean, a lot of the other cases you could potentially say animal attack or like injury, like they were hiking and they went off trail and fell or, but this, we have evidence that whoever was driving that ATV got off in a hurry yeah, for some reason. Uh, and there's only, the only very one. few reasons to do that. You're <laughs> chasing, un- or being chased. chasing or being chased or seeing something that you need to move on quick for yeah. some reason. Like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess my leading theory is some form of foul play, but I, I can't other than, he saw someone trying to steal something from his property and chased him, and then it went bad. That's the only I, thing I can think I of. I feel like that's probably a potential. I and mean, if, if you're the... Okay, let's pretend this is what happened. Yeah. If you're the assailant, you would have to deal with the situation. Yeah. So you're not going to take the ATV, because that's difficult. So you're going to do something with, with him. Yeah. And, I mean... Were they just lucky because it was followed by days of rain and storms? 
Yeah. And the only thing you're going to, the only thing that you can hope for is that the scent and whatever you leave behind that you can't see is covered up. Well, that's, but it wasn't raining in the morning. It didn't rain until the evening. So do they find the ATV before I forget? They found the ATV a couple days later. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that's, it doesn't matter when it started yeah. raining. It's just, if, if they discovered it prior to then, yeah. would that have been different? Would there have been blood on the scene? Would there have been things that they could have picked up on that simply after days of rain washed away? Yeah. I mean, you, we heard that news clip, the, the sheriff saying that the rain could have easily washed away evidence yeah. of what if, happened. If it's that much, why yeah. not? Yeah. It would dilute everything in the scene to the, where a dog can't smell it. You can't see it. It's just gone. And that would that would lean towards foul play. If it was an animal attack, you would f- possibly have you know clothing yes. on the ground. That's kind of what I was getting at. They're messy in regards to, but they're not cleaning up a scene after they do something, yeah. right? Like Whereas, if they just like hit him over the head with a pipe, knocked him out, and then took him yeah. somewhere, you would never know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, I'm kind of leaning that way. <laughs> I I am just because yeah. it nothing else would make sense. Yeah, I don't know. Is that is that your final answer? Yeah, I mean, this one's really puzzling. I Are there any, like, lore about the Smokies that could be off the deep end? I mean, a lot of uh, strange uh, disappearances have happened. <laughs> what's that? What's the off the deep end? Uh, Bigfoot. Bigfoot? I, I don't know. It, that, I mean, that literally is it. Yeah, like, yeah Bigfoot grabbed Bigfoot. him. Yeah, like, he saw Bigfoot, got scared, jumped off, and ran, and Bigfoot got him. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of strange disappearances in this region. Um, we covered one a while back. Uh, Dennis Martin went yep. missing decades ago before this. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot. I'm sure we'll do lots more for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's our theory. You guys should log on to the socials and give us your opinion. Thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can find the videos of each episode. Uh, now, if you are a patron subscriber, we explained it in the last episode. You can link up to our uh, Spotify subscriber oh, yeah, only I channel. To mention that. Yeah, Spotify yeah. subscriber only channel. We talked about it last episode. Yeah. Uh, but the video's up there, which is really cool because yeah. we have video on Spotify. So you should subscribe just to get that. Yes. Uh, if you do want to support the show monetarily outside of all the patron account stuff, you can go to our website, our Facebook store to buy some sweet, sweet swag um, or just subscribe to all the other channels if you want. Uh, and do, have we got any on Apple yet? Yeah, we have a few. Okay, cool. I know oh, we like have a ton. For, yeah, we got tons. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. Lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks. And we will see you all next time.